Hello and welcome back to part two of the greatest British sportsperson of all time podcast extravaganza that we have been doing here on the Winging It F1 podcast, which is now just the Winging It Sort of Sports podcast, as coined by Adam Dickinson in the last episode. I'm Freddie Coates. I'm joined here with Adam Dickinson, Nigel Jew, and special guest Henry Clark to go through some great British sports people. Last episode, we spoke at length about why Lewis Hamilton deserves the title. And we also threw Sir Steve Redgrave and Sir Andy Murray into the into the into the fray. So we're going to go straight straight into it now. And we're going to talk about the Baroness Tanny Gray Thompson, who is um, an 11 time Paralympic gold medalist. She got her first uh, medal in the Paralympics. It was a bronze at the 1988 Seoul Olympics. And she got her last one at 2004 in Athens and sports like we've saying about having different standings and stuff like that and we had a conversation Adam and I at least prior to this podcast about the standing of Paralympic sports and the fact that that's more necessarily down to the success of um, disabled sports structure in the United Kingdom but Tanny Gray Thompson has is basically the figurehead of all of that of the push for disabled sports of the push for Paralympic success globally I would say um, not just in the United Kingdom to the point where she's still active today with everything she's doing she's she's a she's a life peer crossbench life peer for a reason with everything she's doing and i'd argue that she is one of the people who definitely goes under the radar as one of the greatest sports people of british history in the way that yeah. she has taken the bull by the horns of wheelchair sprints basically and has just nailed it and has won it and, and then on top of that has become an inspiration it's an overused word but she is one of the top people who are who has always spoken about consistently for my entire life as one of the people who changed um the face of a sport and changed the face of every sport that comes under a paralympic disabled sport bracket that um i think she's a name we can throw into the mix for one of the greatest british sports people of all time and i think it really i think all that it really depends is on I, something I don't know much about, but is the competition she would have faced, and is that a detriment to what we're saying here? I think I think that is the detriment, but I think you're right in, in saying that she's a massive inspiration because we see now Britain at the Paralympics didn't win literally hundreds of medals, and in the 90s, 80s, uh, not sure when the Paralympics started, but Britain definitely didn't win that amount of of, of medals, and I think Tally Gray Thompson. There's been a massive, massive figurehead uh, for, for Paralympic sport, not just uh, wheelchair racing. So I think that is a great point there, Freddie. But for me, I think Sarah's story deserves a mention because she is also a Paralympian. She did swimming and cycling, track cycling and road cycling. So she's done three, well, two different sports because obviously track, track and road, you can and do both just like Bradley Wiggins. But to do... To, to win Olympic medals and gold medals with swimming and then uh, go on to be incredibly successful in cycling at her age as well. I'm not sure how old she is, but she's been doing it for a very long time. I think she's, she's 43 at the moment. And so in okay. real, she would wow. have been 39. And she's still breaking world records. She's still the benchmark in cycling. She's even... Uh, been, she even took part in able-bodied races as well. She was that good. Uh, I think she has to be in the mix for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I definitely agree with all that. But 
I think, you know, I think particularly for, you know, women's sports obviously come to the forefront more in recent times. You know, people people do know a little bit more about um, Dame Sarah's story. But with with Tani Gray Thompson, I think, you know, if she'd have if she'd have existed, uh, she'd have competed in an era like today where where she where there's much more media attention and focus yeah. around because because she you know not only was she competing in Paralympic sport, which obviously doesn't get the coverage, she was she was competing as a woman in an age that, you know, you know, she competed in the 90s. So it wasn't it wasn't that long ago. But you know, you still think of the considerable changes that have happened in women's sport yeah. in the last decade, then it, there is you know, if she'd have been competing in this era, I think she would get the a lot more recognition than she than she gets. And you know, there's a valid point about Sarah Story changing sports, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, like just that's like unbelievable. Like that is like Andy Murray winning Wimbledon and then getting out and winning Silverstone. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, she, but then uh, Tani Gray Thompson also, you know, she she competed across such different distances mm. that she she dominated across all distances and you know it's not it, it's obviously paralympic sport works a little bit differently but and it, there's a different there's a different side to it but you know you don't see like mo farah was dominated middle distance but da, uh, tanny gray thompson dominated middle distance like the shorter distance stuff as well like it, it phenomenal achievement and i Again, she definitely, in my eyes, is the most underrated, greatest British sports person of all time. Um, Sarah Story competed in long and short distance as well, winning on the road, you know, over two hours, and then winning a four-minute time trial on the track. So, I don't know. I think they're both, for me, for me, they're both on like a similar level. I'd say. Yeah, I, I, would, I would. I think that's a fair assessment. I think I'd agree. I think the competition, you know, in Paralympic sport, in terms of just the countries who are able put, to put together a successful Paralympic program, is a lot smaller than yeah, you is. get in in other sports. And I think that's kind of what counts against it, really. And also, yeah. you know, I know in well, in particularly track um, athletics, Paralympic athletics, then there's not many heats. You know, I think there might be a semi-final yeah. and a final. I think. That's what counts against it, kind of both of those being in the conversation for the greatest. But I yeah. do, I, I think I put them both top ten, and and maybe, oh, yeah. ma- maybe Tanny Gray Thompson top five. I think you know, and and as Freddie said, her achievements beyond the track oh, yeah. as well in in improving you know the standing of disabled people and you know being able to, yeah, then go into the House of Lords and, and- inspire so many people. Yeah, and I actually think, now. and I also think it, it. There's also a relation back to the point I made about Murray with the, you know, there there was no precedent of really of great mm. with with great Paralympian women um, before before her, and you know that not saying that Sarah Story's achievement should be lessened because of that, but I just think a trailblazer mm. like like Tanny Gray Thompson, I think she, you know, 16 Paralympic medals and 30 world records. And 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 she won the London Marathon six times. Like I think in an age where you know Paralympic sport went under the radar massively, I think that is an incredible achievement and the longevity behind that. You know, mm. 
I wouldn't know I wouldn't know the ins and outs of it, but I can't imagine there was much, if any, um, you know, monetary funding behind mm. her in those days for Paralympic sport. So I think for, for me, that probably what pips Tanny Gray Thompson to Sarah's story. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you know they're both both wonderful, great British talents that you know, especially you know, uh, the in in terms of women's sport as well. They're, they're fantastic role models. Yeah, I think Tanny Gray Thompson definitely dragged um, women's Paralympics and arguably a lot of women's sports just to the forefront of the turn of the century, and just basically is. A, a pioneer in changing the mindset of all of that in the United Kingdom for the past 20 years, I'd say. And I think there's a lot to um, put on Tanny Gray Thompson's back for a lot of that. And like you say, to come from a trailblazer in a, in a, in a sport that's going to be at the bottom of the rung on funding and a sport that's going to be not watched by anybody, not cared about, frankly, in, in the eighties and nineties to then, use that as the platform to turn it around is something else and i've got an enormous amount of respect for mm. this entire that entire story that's still going on now to this day so running out of a bit of time with this podcast it's been going on for quite a long time there's obviously a lot of debate to be had um so we're going to be rounding it up with some just a minute style kind of brief monologues to to throw a few more names into the ring, more honourable mentions than necessary, um, necessarily top spot um, contenders. But I'm going to hand over to Mr. Adam Dickinson to talk you through some more immense sports people. Yeah, I actually think these, I think all of the ones or most of the ones I'm going to mention could actually be contenders for the top spot. But yeah, I think first one is Mo Farah in a bit like we talked about with other sports, he he's he's put a British presence on a sport that was dominated by other countries. It kind of you know there wasn't anything there. Is the Ethiopians and Kenyans, you know, Haile Selassie, um, who yeah. was just out there, you know, absolutely cleaning up, and he has come through and become that. And he works incredibly, incredibly hard, obviously, to be a long distance runner, five thousand, ten thousand meters, and it's not. It's not like, you know, 100 metres or 200 metres, there's tactics involved. You've, you know, he nearly tripped, I think, in one of his world championships and in London 2012, maybe, in he qualifying heats and nearly tripped over and that would have been it. So, you know, he was on the poster boys of London 2012. Yeah, I just think his achievements in, as we talked about with other people, but bringing British presence to a sport that, you know, previously had no representation or no representation at the sharp end. You know, I... I think he's up there maybe top five maybe not I feel like I've probably got about eight people in my top five but <laughs> yeah I'd, I I do genuinely think you know he's one of the greats and he's a true gent as well yeah yeah um, and, and what I would say with Mel Fatt sorry I know we only meant to be doing one right, I've got to say it. Uh, so, he, so he won back to back he won two golds at London and two golds in Rio but I think his performance is at the World Championships when yes. he won two gold medals in 2013 two gold medals in 2015 and then he won a gold each in 2011 and 2017 I think but to win uh, to, to defend this title yes. you know, every two years over in a sport where you have to peak on the day you've got to be at your best and other runners you know can can beat you and it comes down to fine margins i think that is quite extraordinary really 
But you couldn't win yeah. I'm a celebrity, so <laughs> <laughs> no. Well that's Yeah, but neither could Vernon K, so that says a lot. Um <laughs> we missed that out in our criterions, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do I think he probably won't be up there just because I don't know, I guess more some people have done more. And maybe he is a bit under appreciated, but yeah, you know, I do I think he's He's properly up there, and he's one of the one of the greatest sports people. Probably. There we go. So that's Samo Far added to to the list. Um, let's go round round the round table to Nigel Chu with one of his. Is it out there suggestion or is it not an out there suggestion? You can never tell with Nigel. Your turn. <laughs> who you who are you throwing into the ring this time? I'm gonna throw into the ring Ronnie O'Sullivan, who I believe is the most underrated British sportsman. I think mainly because snooker. Is nowhere near as big as it used to be. But Ronnie has been at the top for since 1992 when he came onto the scene. He's the youngest ever ranking tournament winner. And he's got the record record for something which I think will never be broken, which you can't really say for many sports, which is to do a 147, which is a maximum break or maximum score in snooker in five minutes and eight seconds, which is just absolutely ridiculous you can find it somewhere on youtube but the speedy girls to to do that was incredible and that when we're talking about moments is one of the greatest sporting moments ever and i don't think that will ever be beaten to do a 147 that quickly he became a six-time world champion last year in august uh after he hadn't won it for quite a while actually uh, for about seven years but he came back and he and he won it he's done over a thousand career centuries. He's the only player to have ever done that. He's won, uh, I think, 18 or 19 triple crown events, which is like tennis's four grand slams, except in snooker, they've got three. He's got the most of them. He's got every record, apart from Stephen Henry's seven world titles. Ronnie has only got six. And to be at the top for that long, you to be favourite for every single tournament, there's a, there's a snooker tournament every week or every two weeks. I think he's seriously underrated and he's he's, he's one of my personal favourite uh, sports people. <laughs> is it is it a sport? Yes, it is. It's a league competition. We've had this conversation before. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's maybe for me what, you know, the athletic element. I don't know if there's so much. Maybe that's it's just skill, me being, being bigger. And, and just but... like tennis, it's a level playing field. You know, it's 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 just a cue, a table, yeah, and balls. It's never to, really changed. But you have to run in tennis. Well, you don't run in F1, do you? If you fall over no. when you're playing snooker, you might not be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. What is the perception of snooker to like non-snooker fans? Is it is it a really small sport? I've only got into snooker in the past year or so, but once I've started watching it, I kind of got a bit hooked by it. I kind of found it because I think everyone's played pool in the pub. Everyone's, you know, <laughs> knocked a knocked a ball into a queue and realised, wow, I'm really bad at this. And that's what everyone thinks. Um, I, I know that for a fact. And um, whenever I've watched it, I've kind of been kind of in awe at the skill and and also, you know, tense at the competition, to be fair. And um, I can't remember who it was. Ronnie was playing in the um, semi-final in August, but it was um, yeah, Mark Selby. <laughs> Selby. That was a really good game, and that was just you, they were both, you know, seeming to be seemingly on a level above anything. And the fact that it wasn't the final was a was a um, 
was a tri a, what's the word a tragedy um travesty that's the word that's why we take so long to do these podcasts i can't think of words um and it i think yeah it i understand why it's not a sport because it's it's like it, it can be compared to a board game but um it's also it's as Nigel says it's, it's elite competition it's intense skill and it's it's near perfect accuracy all the time which is something that you need in you need in every sport so yeah why not Let's physically say it's, it's not you know one of the hardest at all but mentally it is incredibly draining because if you're not at the table all you can do is sit there and watch your opponent you can't do anything it's not like tennis where you can play a good shot back or in football where you can you know do something with with the style or with the style of play you, you just have to sit there and watch and Ronnie you know, has been at the top for so long. I, I do think it, it's an, an incredible feat that, that he's done. Yeah, before this becomes the, um, I don't know, what's a snooker phrase? <laughs> the, the Pot of the Black podcast. Um, we should move on. Um, Mr. Henry Clark, your turn to fly the flag for somebody. A uh, bit of a left field one and probably you know, again, won't be considered the greatest, um, but, you know, I think one, again, that's worth a mention uh, was Sir Nick Faldo. Um, now, a bit of an odd choice and probably a victim of not being such a household name, um, but his, his, so he, he, he performed exceptionally in golf in probably one of the toughest eras of the sport. Like he, he was in an era of um, Ballesteros, uh, Greg Norman, Bernard Langer. You know, that there were again it, it was a little bit like Murray in a way. You know, he 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 did he won a lot of he won six majors. So, you know, a lot, but not not the most sort of he's not on Tiger Woods numbers uh, sort of standard. But you know he Again, there was there wasn't really anyone that dominated an era, uh, a, a British golfer, sorry, that dominated an era in the way that that he did. And again, it was it was a strong era of the sport. Um, so you know, he was you know ranked number one for over, I think it was nearly two years. He was number one, which is an unbelievable achievement. Like with the way uh, golf rankings work, you know, they they seem to change every shot almost. Um, so I think you know he's he's not he's not one to he's probably not one that would be the greatest, but he probably is Britain's greatest golfer. And where and where you then put him on that, where you put him on the list of greatest sports person is is up for debate. But I think he's definitely worth an honourable mention. Mm. Yeah, I don't oh, know yeah. anything about golf, so I can't really. I know, I know the right uh, to even make an argument for once. <laughs> I mean, taking no. taking taking uh, a, a strand from that, like like you say about um, you said household name. I think of all the names that were mentioned there, to me, Nick Faldo, apart from Tiger Woods, is the one I know. The, you know, he's kind of heard of the most. Mm. And from a complete outsider of somebody who only really knows what crazy golf is, like I kind of look at um, Nick Faldo and think, yeah, it's 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 a name I know for a reason, and that's kind of all I can add to that. But yeah, like you say, he's mm. he gave a really good argument that of you know obviously about the period in a way that we can't um can't rebuttal but um <laughs> he's he's I think um, tiger woods takes like he's he's that big tiger woods he, the rest of 
you know, everyone else before and after him kind of gets overlooked. And I think Nick Faldo is definitely one of those golfers. Yeah. I think that made sense. Yeah, you know, we're one of those golfers. Winning Augusta Augusta back to back is, I I wouldn't be able to tell you off the top of my head how many people have done that, but I can be pretty certain it's not many at all. That is a, that's a serious achievement. And, you know, fifth, uh, I think he's got the fifth most uh, all-time wins on the European tour. Um, You know, again, a different era of golf, different, the, the, the calendar looked different, but um, yeah, I think he's definitely one. You know, he's regarded very highly in the world of golf, in the Golf Hall of Fame. So mm. I think he's definitely, definitely someone that should be considered. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, good point. Well made. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to do one final um, loop around of names. I'm going to dip the toe in the water with the one of the last ones, which will be Sir Ben Ainsley, who is a world champion, America's Cup champion, uh, Olympic champion, sailor. And I mean, it, it comes to the question of where do we rank sailing? And no one knows where we rank sailing because it depends on the wind. But um, low. when you... Below. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, Ben Ainsley's uh, record is, um, it definitely transcends the sport in the fact that no one knows anything about sailing. People know what the America Cup is and that it happens and that sometimes they have aerodynamics involved in it and that's about my knowledge of sailing but ben, i know ben ainsley i know who ben ainsley is and i know he's a brilliant sailor and i know he's fantastic at what he does to the point that he got a knighthood for services to sailing that means that he's clearly respected in his field um and he's he's statistically excellent he is the he's one of three athletes to win medals in five different olympic games in sailing he's um only the third person to win five olympic medals in that sport and when it comes to that level, he is only just behind uh, Steve Redgrave um, and the cyclists who we're going to mention shortly in terms of statistics when it comes to uh, Olympics, British Olympic medal success. So he's definitely a name that needs to be thrown into the hat. Um, and whether it will be pulled out is a different, a different um, question, but he is certainly a extreme talent in what he does. And the fact that... Um, we're mentioning him just shows that I have nothing else to say because I know little about sailing. You've done a really good job there, to be mm. fair, really. better than any of us could have done. <laughs> yes. What yeah, is sailing? Is I he, think is it, he... it, it is a tricky one, of course. It's like it's the same, you know, you don't, people say just, you know, sits on the boat and lets the wind take him where he wants to go. <laughs> but, you know, they, they're quite, to be, to be that dominant for that long, there quite clearly is. Uh, you know what? If if it was if it was that easy, Britain would have more champion sailors that were that were challenging him at the top, mm. and mm. and we don't. And you know, you could you could potentially make the argument that Britain have the the reason why I would maybe not quite have him up there is because you know you put he might be considered an all time great, but the nature of sailing means that certain countries would find it very difficult to produce sailors because yeah. you know if you're a landlocked country where where do you where do you do your sailing training it's not like ben ainsley pops down to weymouth or wherever and and jumps on his boat where you know some countries just don't have don't have that but you know that shouldn't detract from his achievements he's clearly a very successful um and it's clearly we just don't really know that much about sailing as a 
as a minority sport to really to really put it up there. One fun yeah. fact about landlocked countries and water is that Bolivia have a um, a day of the sea where they remember the time when they used to have a coastline and they have a parade of their navy, but they're a landlocked country. But anyway, it's just one of those weird things that happens for has happened for a hundred years. I was about to say that Bolivia has a navy fact, but yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> the, you know, again, I don't know much about sailing, but the the fact that Ben Ainsley can be a sailor and considered in this conversation, I think, is what kind of yeah, that's a great, shows, really great point. You know, yeah, his standing that a sport that you know a lot of not necessarily looked down on, but just don't rate, don't know much about, and yet he is in the conversation. Yeah, I think I, for me again, he wouldn't kind of be you know in my kind of top three or so, but you know he is. He has just dominated that sport and definitely yeah. deserves a mention. Um, is it wiggling back round to me? It is wiggling back round to you. It is your turn okay, to yeah. to throw lots of names into the velodrome. Yeah, that was a good wow. one. Wow. It, <laughs> well, when, um, the Henry said, when, when Henry said he was pinning his colours to the mast for Andy Murray, I thought that was a transition that could have been used for Ben Ainsley. But... <laughs> it was, but it wasn't. <laughs> Yes. Um, Damn. There's a few. Chris Frew, Bradley Wiggins, Chris Hoy, Jason Kenny are the ones that kind of seem to be the top echelon. I think Chris Froom winning four Tour de France, Tours de France, and <laughs> of Welso Espana and Giro d'Italia. He's won all of the cycling grand tours, which not many riders do. I don't have a list off the top of my head who have done that, but he held I know off really well at the same time. Yeah, he, he won the Giro and the... Oh, yeah, sorry, he won the Tour then the Vuelta, then yeah. the Giro. And they are the toughest events. You know, I, I think the Tour de France is the toughest sporting event around, or kind of mainstream sporting event around, in terms of it is just so physically demanding. You're you're riding like 3,000 kilometres, you know, up, up over mountains. It's it's And you've also got to be thinking on your feet. You've got to be tactical while you're doing that. And for him to come through and do that is, yeah, it's incredible. He's not had the the biggest competition. I think the generation of cyclists coming through now will probably eclipse the level of competition that he faced um, when he was riding. But to do that, to kind of go into the top echelon cyclists who have won four or five Tour de France and, you know, the other events that we've mentioned, I think puts him right up there. Again, probably top five in in what he's done, and and bring British dominance to it. It started with Wiggins, but then he was the one who really hammered that home. And if he hadn't been there, I, I think it's very likely Team Sky would have gone for a non-British rider, and you know mm. that would have been lost, and they would have pushed through that. So, yeah, I I really think he deserves to be up there. So, is is he out of all the cyclists? Is he the one you put as number one out of the four you've just mentioned? Would you say? Um, I think I'll put him higher than Wiggins and then okay. I think it's quite hard to compare to the track but yeah mm. I think I'll, I'll put him right up there in kind of my list my mental yeah. list I mean it's interesting because uh, we were talking about before we came on Jason Kenny is actually the joint most successful yes. Uh, yes. Olympian which many people don't know they think it's Redgrave or Wiggins or whatever but yeah, and plus Jason Kenny is still fingers crossed. Hopefully, going to go to Tokyo if it does happen this year, so he could add to that tally. And track cycling, it's, again, it, it is a difficult one. 
because I don't think the competition is quite the same, but Kenny and Rio, we did three different events, the team sprint, the individual sprint, and the Kieran. And to win three gold medals, uh, to, to get three out of three, essentially, is you know a massive, massive achievement. Uh, Chris Hall did the same in Beijing, so you could argue, okay, maybe it's not that big of an, a big of an achievement if someone else has done it eight years before. But I do think Britain has been very lucky with the influx of cyclists that it's had in the last 10, 15 years. And again, I think Jason Kenny is one of those underrated, underrated sports people who many, many people don't really talk about, even though he is the joint most successful British Olympian. I think uh, I think Jason Kenny can certainly make a claim to be part of the the most successful British sports people couple mm-hmm. with uh, with uh, as yes. he's married to uh, Laura Trot or Laura Kenny now, um, and obviously she's got she's got a pretty uh, pretty outstanding Olympic record in her own right. Um, so I think those two probably together have probably got. I, I can't I can't think of many British sporting couples that have got more success between them than them two. So I think uh, mm-hmm. I think he's certainly at least winning one title in my eyes. Yeah, their kids yeah. are going to be insane. They're going to be doing all. They're <laughs> going to be doing a whole Olympics. <laughs> Just make them Team GB. Yeah, I know two of the Rio twenty sixteen female hockey gold medalists were married, but yeah. outside of that, I can't think of any. Um, but yeah, it's. I think there's an argument of how much. I think Hoy was more of a trailblazer in terms of turning, you know, British success from the doldrums of the 90s to the vast, vast success that they've had now. And then Kenny's kind of taken that and continued that quality through. Yeah. Yeah. Not okay. even going to mention Wiggins. Amazing, really. Wins a Tour de France yeah. and then yes. wins, wins gold medals at successive Olympics. Not even going to mention. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that, that was his honourable mention just there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, really, it's, really, it's really difficult because, yeah, he was the first British winner of the Tour de France, which, you know, it, in 99 years, there'd, there'd not really been anyone close to it. And, yeah, he came through. I think that is an incredible achievement. And, obviously, his Olympics. Door. I think it's, yeah, it, it's... I guess the, the, the problem is, so on. yeah, I think just the problem is like, you know, the people who've come after him have kind of cast shadows on that, which is, you know, it's harsh, but, you know, they they are all, all up there as, as some of the greatest sports people that this island's pretty. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we're going to go around to Nigel now for um, <sighs> someone who you probably would be surprised if you know anything about the sport we haven't mentioned already. Um, Nigel, over to you. For a nice yeah, quick yeah. rundown, we are running out of a lot of time very quickly. I've chosen a winter Olympian. Uh, I've gone for Lizzie Arnold, who does the skeleton. Skeleton or skeleton? I don't know. Skeleton. I'm talking about it. I don't even know the name of the sport. Uh, yeah, Olympics. she won in Sochi and Pyeongchang 2014-2018, defended her title. And the Winter Olympics is something Britain aren't particularly strong at. So I think for... Uh, a Brit to defend the Olympic title is a massive achievement. And Skelton, from what I've seen anyway, is quite a diverse sport in terms of the countries that participate. There's lots and lots of different variations of where uh, the best Skelton people come from. So, yeah, I think she deserves a mention. Mm, it's a terrifying sport. 
it's it yeah, is, yeah. flinging flinging yourself down i don't know what speeds they go but it's pretty 80, pretty high 90. speed Le mm -hmm. leading with your head it's, and then to do it to a point where you're um having to concentrate to do it to get the <laughs> incremental gains that you'll need to get to win a gold medal is is another another it's another level of insanity but i mean it's one she does very well yeah, i think it, it reminds me of kind of cricketers before they were helmets kind of putting their their heads on the line you know okay some of the fast bowling attacks it's that kind of yeah just just risk that you go through and, and well, but, we keep that becomes normalized that. that becomes normalized yeah i just think for me it's 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 an incredible thing to watch hmm. i think i'm just going to throw in a quick name in a, in a sentence or two before we move on to um a close with henry and i'm just going to mention catherine granger who is the i think the most successful <laughs> uh, female olympian in british sport I'll, i think that's true and she was obviously winning medals all the way up until um i think rio and um sort of rode the right rode the wave that was created by the rowing um boom from the end of red grave cracknell and everyone who we've mentioned previously um and took that to a level um in women's rowing and obviously is a fantastic olympian in her own right i think she obviously deserves a mention as well um but i'm gonna throw it over to mr henry clark to round off with a, a i think a very admirable suggestion uh are we gonna go with bobby charlton do what you want mate say whatever you want literally okay, no, okay. <laughs> um yeah well actually sitting here thinking i was actually thinking you know bobby charlton you know he, he uh world cup winner with england uh regarded you know uh sir matt busby's described him as near perfection as a player you know he's very like probably England's greatest uh greatest talent they've produced um but actually sitting here thinking I, I I think I thought of one name that I have overlooked and I'm quite ashamed of myself that I've overlooked it and actually what about Jimmy Anderson the the highest ever um you know most wickets ever for a fast bowler like uh six over 600 test wickets you know the other week he's uh, is he thirty nine? And he's and the other week he, so. he took six six for whatever nothing like against Sri Lanka. You know, <laughs> you know he his success. He you know he will go down as probably the greatest fast bowler of all time when he finishes. And I think he's probably it's a, probably a victim that he's still currently still going. So we don't we kind of disregard yeah. him and we because mm. you know when we talk about the greatest mm. we're often looking backwards. But but. I think his his achievements are also definitely worth uh, worth a mention. And I think once he once he retires and his numbers are sort of cemented and don't have the asterisks of he's still playing against them, I think uh, I think he very much will be considered right up there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people we've mentioned who will be benchmarks in a couple of years' time. And I think Anderson is definitely definitely already yes. one of them in the same way that we've mentioned with Hamilton and um, a lot of the cyclists as well. They're already, um, they're still active, but they're already the, the pinnacle and what's being looked at for the future. So I think he's a, yeah, definite, definite contender actually. Now you mention it. Um, surprised he wasn't spoken about sooner. Um, are we going to, we've got, we've got about a minute to maybe have, closing arguments on who we all want to put forward um i think you might have been able to guess on a few of us um through the podcast um but we're gonna have we've got all our criteria we've been decided anyone want to throw a name in the hat for a definite number one or you're all just gonna 
just sit there and say, ah, it's too hard because that's what I'm going to do. No, I, I, I do. I think Henry made a really good argument for Murray and kind of his effect out of, outside of the sport. While I don't think it's as great as Hamilton's, is something that I hadn't really thought about, um, you know, in terms of who, in, who he's inspired. But I still think Hamilton's quality in such a high profile sport in the intense competition that there is in the way he has dominated and he has become a new benchmark of greatness mm. in the sport alongside all of his work outside of it and the way that he has become F1. He has become kind of the flag bearer for F1. I just don't think that anyone else has kind of been so great and well-rounded from Britain. Yeah, that's where I was leaning towards as well. Um, Nigel and Henry, do you have any... Henry obviously made a very impassioned argument for Andy Murray. You're standing by that, I presume. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, well, I think I have to now. But um, <laughs> uh, to be fair, though, uh, the the only other name that I can got that can uh, completely trump everyone, undoubtedly, is uh, Maxwell Woosnam from the late 1900, uh, late 1800s. Sorry, gold and silver in tennis at the 1920 Olympics. A doubles title at Wimbledon, a 147 break in snooker, scored a century at Lords, captained Britain in Davis Cup, captained Manchester City when they finished runners up in the Football League Championship in 1920, captained England, uh, and he also beat Charlie Chaplin playing table tennis. And he was using a butter knife rather than a bat. So if Lewis Hamilton, Andy Murray, Ben Ainsley, <laughs> or whoever you, Lizzie Arnold, want to do that, I look forward to seeing it. Um, thanks, Henry. That's going to be my answer. So I don't have to, get, I don't have to do what Freddie did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that seems a fantastic place to round it up, actually. So thanks, everyone, for um, taking the time out of your day to listen to our ramblings about the upper echelons of British sport. Um, you can find all of us on Twitter. Our Twitter is going to be on the screen. We're probably running out of time to mention them, um, but that's fine. You can listen to this on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, whatever you want at Winging at F1 on Twitter to find everything uh, that you need about this podcast and to find links to all of our work. And we're going to put a little bit of a detail on Henry up there as well. So all of your new fans, Henry, will be able to find you. So well. thanks, everyone. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much for watching and goodbye. Cheers. Bye. Cheers.